Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season two. Whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show. Thanks for listening! Now, on to the episode. Season 2, Episode 8, The Dark Age. So before we get into today's episode, just a quick reflection on last week's episode of Lie to Me. When I was writing the summary, I had this realization, Steph, because we kept mocking how, how much lying was happening in the episode. So the much. only character in that episode who tells Buffy the truth for the entire episode is Xander. <laughs> is that true? Yeah, I guess you're right. Like, he's completely straightforward from the beginning. He doesn't like Ford, right? He thinks Ford is up to something. He may not be entirely accurate in his reading, but he doesn't dissemble, right? He doesn't hide anything from Buffy. So Xander was actually the most honest person in that episode. (laughs) But we didn't recognize it, obviously, because Xander has lost all credit with us. (laughs) Exactly. Which I will bring up again in this episode, don't worry. Uh, Speaking of which... You know, this episode combines stuff we learned in Halloween. It was revealed in Halloween that Giles has a dark and shady past. Mm -hmm. And I would also say it carries on the theme of lie to me because this episode is full of lies, or at least Buffy uncovering more lies about Giles. Lies. Um, (laughs) I could just tell the rest of the series we're just going to be like, lies, whenever we see one. (laughs) So many lies in this episode. What I did like about this episode, I actually found it a delight because I didn't remember much about it. I recalled Giles's background storyline from my previous watches i've never paid close attention to it and now Mm -hmm. that i'm closer to giles age i suppose that's why i'm like tuning in more but uh for whatever reason like the last couple of episodes or i guess like season one and this season we've always been saying where are our willow centric episodes where are they we want them we need them but we very rarely if ever i don't think we've ever asked for a giles centric episode (laughs) <laughs> like, we, ha- we haven't been hungry for it, but now that I've gotten it, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I agree. That's a really good point. And I feel like we needed this episode after the revelations in Halloween. I didn't remember that this happened so soon after Halloween. I didn't remember that Ethan comes back so soon after Halloween. But mm-hmm. we did need this episode because this episode, again, it's building on lie to me where Buffy's relationship with Giles is changing. From the Watcher-Slayer dynamic of Watcher has to watch over and protect the Slayer and, like, the father-daughter dynamic to, like, Buffy takes charge. And Buffy is the responsible one in this episode, in a way. Uh, But Mm. we can get more into that. So tell us how we start off. All right. So we open at the high school and there's an anxious, sweaty man 
running toward the school, looking really spooked. And he does briefly speak to the janitor, <laughs> who looks like Freddy Krueger. I'm looking for Giles, uh, Rupert Giles. And the janitor points him in the right direction toward the library. And as this man walks across the campus to the door that says, classroom, building, and library, he stops because he hears a noise, which is his first mistake. If you're running from something, why even stop, you know? Then he says, oh, God, because someone named Deidre, 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 Deidre. <laughs> I don't know why I said that in an old timey movie voice. Say, it's Deidre. <laughs> old lady Deidre. Uh, except she's not old. She's dead and young and a zombie. <laughs> this is a zombie chick with glowing eyes is advancing on this man. And here's what makes me so mad. So he already turned around at the first noise he heard. But as he tries to escape from the zombie looking thing, he is banging on the door, the, the, the library door, shouting, help me, help me, help me. And Buffy and Giles are inside the library, but they don't hear him because Buffy is doing aerobics to very loud music and Giles is hating his life. But I was like, my guy, run like you're outside you don't have to bang on the door for five minutes you could run left right you could go up the stairs you could run across the campus just like run away but he just doesn't so naturally this thing this demon this this zombie grabs him and starts choking him and breaks his neck and he falls to the ground and then the creature turns into what looks like Listerine <laughs> and just like I'll, evaporates I'll, away. I always think it's very considerate when the monsters take care of their own remains for us, right? There's no cleanup. There's no mess. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he left the body behind, but that, that's, that's nothing new for Sunnydale High. <laughs> also, the part of this scene where Buffy is doing her aerobic exercises and stuff in the library with mm -hmm. Giles grumbling about the music choice this is probably the most i felt like buffy in the series has called back to the movie yeah. right it reminds me of like buffy in the movie training in the creepy abandoned mansion with merrick <laughs> yeah and, and you know she's dressed as like the fluorescent 90s exercise garb and stuff and this is kind of how buffy's dressed in this scene and she's doing kind of the same thing and it's just I don't know if it's a deliberate callback or not, but it was just something that I thought of when I was watching this scene, which other than that little bit of levity, this is actually a really scary scene. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just like, I, that's why I feel like what took away from the scariness for me was the fact that this guy made all the wrong choices and he wasn't very mobile. That's why they're in a horror TV show. Exactly. Cut to credits. The opening scene, too, is an acid flashback of candles and rituals and cults and demons and tattoos. All of our favorite things, Kara. And uh, Giles wakes up in his bed. And we actually get a look at his apartment, I think, for mm -hmm. the first time. And I really dig the layout. I think it's a, it's a good one. So Giles is having nightmares or, like I said, acid flashbacks of sorts. Wait, okay. So Joyce is a stoner. Giles drops acid. Is this what we're saying? Yes. I mean, I don't know if he does anymore. That's why it's a flashback. It, so, but is that is this what Giles means when he says that his favorite hobby is cross-referencing? Oh, shit. You're right. <laughs> we're going to learn throughout the rest of this episode like that Giles was a wildling in his, in his youth. 
And when he says he loves cross-referencing, he is probably very likely talking about drugs. In fact, we should track this for the rest of the series. Every time Giles makes a comment, is he actually talking about his drug-filled past? (laughs) I guess we'll find out. On campus, Willow and Buffy are playing a fun game called Anywhere But Here, where they share their fantasy moments with each other. And Buffy is on a beach with Gavin Rosdale. No idea who that is. I don't really know either. And Willow is in in Italy with John Cusack. I do know who that is. I dislike the Cusacks. <laughs> like, I just find them That's both fair. annoying. John and Joan. I'm on your side. Like, I just can't with those two. Uh, Xander joins them and says Amy Yip at the water park is his. I also mm. don't know who this yeah. is. No. We're too young. I don't know what, who, I don't know Amy Yip. I don't know Gavin Rosell. Uh, but Willow notes that Xander's, choice has never changed and he says i'm constant in my affections yeah we know that xander <laughs> it's true so <laughs> we are Steph, aware i have never heard of anywhere but here was this a game that you played when you were younger no you play kill fuck mary when you're younger <laughs> okay well i mean we can play it right now if you want where well i don't know if i'd want to be anywhere but here i i'm quite enjoying podcasting with you right now <laughs> i was just gonna we're so cute i was gonna be like i like what we're doing right now i wouldn't go anywhere (laughs) uh where else would i go where i get to bash on xander seriously where else does a xander slander run free i tried starting up my xander tirades in the checkout line at the grocery store and people just give me these weird looks yeah they're just like please don't talk to us put your mask back on (laughs) all right all right, so they are they start making fun of Giles because he's walking toward them on campus. They say that he lived for school. I do want to say that this episode has some pretty corny but also funny banter. Like, I enjoyed the group dynamics in this episode. Uh, Xander says that Giles lived for school. He's actually still bitter. There was only 12 grades. Buffy says he probably sat in math thinking that this could be mathier. Like, I just think, like... Cute little lines here. I guess no one has heard that there was a murder on campus (laughs) the night before. So as they're going inside, Giles says that uh, a medical transport is delivering a monthly supply of blood to the hospital that night. And Buffy says it's basically vampire meals on wheels. And I was thinking about this and like, is this a big deal? Yes. I mean, I get it. The hospital needs their blood packs. I get it. Yes, that's a big deal. <laughs> Answering my own question. But on the other side of that, the fact that the vamps are after the blood, I was like, doesn't that mean they're not killing people? <laughs> no, I don't think so, right? Because if it were that simple, yeah. some vampire at this point would have created like a blood club, right? Like they would have figured out a way to monetize this and get rich. Blood club. I, I suspect that even if the vampires have an access to, you know, that easy blood... They're probably going to go out hunting like it's part of their demonic drive. Plus, they probably want fresh blood, right? Like, I imagine the packaged blood is sustaining, but not satiating or like, um, you know, satisfying, right? They probably would use it to survive because it's blood. Mm. But, you know, it's not the thrill of the hunt. It's not the feel of your prey in their neck and whatever, like... So mm, I, okay. I I don't think that would solve any real problems. Okay, so you're not saying one cancels out the other. You're just saying this is just another way for vampires to be dicks <laughs> in this town. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> All right. 
So uh, Buffy and Giles agree to meet at the hospital at 8.30 p.m. Because I guess that delivery arrives, bang, right on the dot at 8.30 p.m. And Giles will bring the weapons and he doesn't want Buffy to be late. And this is when Jenny approaches and they start flirting in front of the students. And they flirt enough to make Willow comment, can you feel the passion? And then Jenny says, that her and Willow are going to be at school on Saturday the next day to review computer basics for students who have fallen behind. Xander gets snarky and says those poor schlubs have to attend school on Saturday. And Jenny says, 9 a.m. okay with you, Xander? Ooh, I do like it. You know, yeah. let's chirp on Xander here. And Buffy even says, uh, you've got a bit of schlub on your shoe there. <laughs> to him. So... Jenny also mentions that Cordelia will be there, and Xander hates this idea right away, says, a bonus day of class plus Cordelia, mix in a little rectal surgery, and it's my best day Ugh. ever. And Jenny and Giles give him, like, a dirty look, <laughs> and then they walk away. And as they walk away, the three, the trio are watching them go, and they say, aren't they cute? Can you just imagine them together? But then they realize that they're thinking about them having sex, and then they all get grossed out and walk away. (laughs) And sure enough, Jenny and Giles are talking about sex. And the foreplay to sex is talking about the book that Giles lent her. Jenny calls it romantic and evocative because Jenny is actually a very sexually mature go-getter of a woman. And she's comfortable with sharing that side of her with this man. And I love it. And she's saying that she dog-eared his favorite pages and she underlined all her favorite parts and she spilled coffee all over it. And Giles is like, it's a first edition. (laughs) Like, he's so sad. And uh, Jenny's just teasing him and she says it's because she likes to see him squirm. so predictable. Oh, I know. Giles is so easy to to get (laughs) under his skin. And Jenny knows that. So that's what I mean. I've said before, Jenny and Buffy are quite similar in a lot of ways to me. And they both know how to get under Giles's skin and make him squirm, as Jenny says. She also calls him a sexy fuddy-duddy. And then she alludes to this weekend where she'd like to stay in. And basically, they agree that they're going to have sex on Saturday. Okay, I thought that's what that meant. So thank you for confirming that for me. Everybody, Giles and Jenny are going to put P and V this Saturday. And Jenny's really excited about it. You don't don't know that's what they're going to do. Who knows what they get up to? That's definitely what they're going to (laughs) do. No, but I, I mean, there's more to sex than that, right? Like they could get, you know, kinkier or something. Sure, sure. Uh, I just went the straight person way of being like, they're going to have sex. But you're right. They could be doing, they could be up to whatever Jenny wants. And uh, they do kiss as the bell rings and students definitely see them kiss. And I'm like, that's super inappropriate. Yeah, that seems inappropriate. Um, It is. I I don't remember if there were any teachers or staff in my school who were married or even dating uh, when I was there. But I kind of feel like if you're in a relationship with somebody at work, you don't do PDA at work in front of other people like that. They're teachers and they're impressionable to students and that's not a good thing. But like even at your normal working job, you wouldn't be kissing anybody. You give each other a firm handshake and then you go your separate ways. You don't even touch each other. You just nod and be like, I expect that on my desk on Monday, and then you walk away. <laughs> Ooh, there's something sexy about that. I like it. Oh, God. Office romances you, are pretty sexy. Do you need a moment? <laughs> do we need to pause the recording stuff? Yeah, well, let's get to the first angel scene, and then I'll, we'll, take a, we'll take a break. Jenny says she can't wait to make him squirm. 
on the weekend in a sex way. And Giles looks terrified and overwhelmed and scared and happy. See, I'm... they're going to do some weird tantric Wiccan bondage stuff. Just, <laughs> You're right. Just you wait. Some techno-pagan shit. But I personally thought that they were already doing the devil's tango together because they've been dating for a couple of months now and she's like probably like 28 and he's in his 40s. They're both hot. Like I just figured it already happened, but I guess they're going to do the deed. Sometimes it's better to wait for a good thing, Steph. You know, that anticipation can be pretty hot. <laughs> I just personally believe that that anticipation already happened. You know what I mean? Maybe. Anyway, Giles goes to the library and his romantic sexual vibe is broken because there's a bunch of cops waiting to talk to him there. It totally ruins the vibe. Boo, once again, cops are bad. But they are here to investigate the homicide on campus <laughs> again. And they said that this person had no identification, but was carrying a piece of paper with Giles's name and address on it. Okay, so question. Uh -huh. If you are looking to find somebody, Stephanie... I can understand writing down their address on a piece of paper to put into your pocket, right? Especially if this mm -hmm. is before phone, like cell phones and stuff. But why would you need to write down the person's name? Don't you know who you're looking for? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it just makes like a complete clue for when you're murdered. <laughs> well, that would be the only thing this guy did right then. Yeah, it's true. I mean, he couldn't run away when he had ample time to do it, but he did write down Giles's full name. You're right. I probably also would only write down the address, but this actually comes up a little bit later. I had in my notes. I'll, I'll bring this back up in a little bit. Okay. But Giles is shocked at this news. Shocked, I say. And Cordelia storms in complaining about the computer tutorial that she has to attend on Saturday. And... She says something like, why do I have to read a book on a computer when computers are meant to replace books? <laughs> a little callback to last season's episode eight, right? Yeah. And uh, Giles is trying to shush her. And then Cordelia notices the police there. And she's like, hey, I got a ticket because I was going down a one-way street. And hey, I was going one way. And it's like a kind of a lame joke, but I like Cordelia's delivery. It's just delivery. all about her, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Cordelia's sheer egoistic obliviousness is precious in in a similar way that Willow's innocence is precious, right? It's like this came this came up previously when we were we were addressing some of Cordelia's behavior, right? And it's like mm -hmm. the show is very very aware of what Cordelia does, and they mock Cordelia for it, and it's just so entertaining. <laughs> it's true. Like Giles gets stern and yells like Cordelia at her. And she says, I'm not deaf and I can take a hint. But this is why Cordelia is so good too, is because Giles right now is demonstrating it. Like he's carrying the weight of the world. Something is going on. Buffy's always carrying the weight of the world. Willow and Xander are wrapped up in that too. Cordelia carries very little angst. So she is always our small little escape from holding the weight of the world all the time. Yeah, she's still not completely part of the gang. She's mm -hmm. still wrapped up in her everyday teenage life. <laughs> I do like <laughs> what you mentioned where she says, you know, I um, she's like, why does everybody always yell at me? Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, this isn't the first time this has happened. This is a recurring event for her where people have to snap her back to our version of reality. So, yeah, yeah Cordelia is an interesting character. This goes back to her being a foil for Buffy. We know that she is gradually being drawn into the Buffy gang, 
we're going to see more of that in this very episode. So something I'm very curious about, if I put myself into the shoes of a first-time watcher, is how long until Cordelia goes past that point of no return, where she's one of the gang and she's inextricably bound to these mystical things in Sunnydale. It's great that we've gotten so much of Cordelia this season, way more than last season. And like Mm -hmm. we said at the beginning in the first couple episodes, we think that Cordelia is trying to weasel her way into the group. She doesn't really know how to do it, but she's succeeding so far. Like she just happens Mm -hmm. to be at everything the group is going to be at, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and it's just, it's really good for her. So Anyway, she says to Giles, I'll come back after you visited decaf land. (laughs) And then Giles goes to the morgue. And Giles is looking at this dead guy. And the detective asks if he knew him. And Giles said he did. His name was Philip Henry. And he was a friend from London. And he hasn't spoken to him in 20 years. And he doesn't know why he would want to contact him. And there's a little tattoo on Philip's arm. And Giles sees it and says he doesn't know what the tattoo means lies it's so obvious and i think the detective recognizes that giles is lying it's pretty obvious Mm -hmm. i think but yeah this is a callback to the previous episode there's so much lying happening the discovery of past lies the truth Mm -hmm. is coming out in this episode's death the truth is out there and we will find it it's nighttime and buffy is waiting at the hospital for giles who is clearly late Buffy's pissed about it. That's when the delivery truck pulls up and there's two ER doctors that come out to get the blood delivery and Buffy says they're cute. (laughs) And then she asks herself, since when do doctors take deliveries? And I just wanted to do a little quick little sidebar here that uh, ER was an amazing show and I'm considering rewatching it because it's it's like 14 seasons long (laughs) and I think it'll get me through the summer. So A convertible pulls up, driven by a vampire, and of course, the two doctors that picked up the loot are also vampires, and they start drinking from one of the blood packs, and the vampire in the car says, no sampling the product. So is this what you meant earlier when you said there probably got some sort of side hustle going on here? Yeah, I mean, I was more thinking, like, if bagged blood were a real substitute like a viable substitute for fresh human blood i think some very business savvy vamp in like an expensive suit driving a maserati would have already created like a startup to you know um just create like a a blood subscription service or something for vampires right like that that's how i would see that going but you're right like this shows that there are some vampires in sunnydale who have some kind of side hustle where they're Uh, slinging blood bags to, I don't know, maybe weaker vampires who have trouble killing. And instead of killing those vampires themselves, these vampires have decided we can make a quick buck after them. You think they're they're after money or some sort of other resource that vampires would need? That's a good question. I don't know, but I kind of get the sense, especially from a vampire like Spike, that vampires still care about money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like when you're immortal undead, right? Like... You, you're going to want the finer things in life because especially if you don't have a soul anymore and your life is kind mm-hmm. of like gray and empty, right? You don't have that same emotional resonance that you'd have from having a soul. You probably have expensive tastes because you're trying to paper over this gnawing pain inside you. Good point. Um, actually, this conversation is solidifying why this scene is my favorite scene in the entire episode not just because of who shows up in a second but like this conversation about the bigger lore behind vampires in sunnydale and we'll get to that in a second so 
Bobby runs out and takes on all three vamps by herself. And I really like this fight scene. Uh, like lately, the fight scenes in Buffy have been getting better and better. Like the one at Halloween was so, so good. And this one is also very good where she's taking on these vamps and out of nowhere, Angel shows up and she almost stakes him. But he helps her out kind of because Buffy ends up staking two on her own and Bu Angel lets the other guy get away in the car. <laughs> uh, so he didn't really help. But... They did save the blood bag loot. And Buffy asks, how did you know about this? And Angel says, it's delivery day. Everyone knows about this. So it's going back to what you just said about perhaps these vampires have a little side hustle going on and other vampires know about it. I just like that this show very subtly builds your knowledge about vampire life and like you mm -hmm. and I are reading in like maybe they're doing this maybe they're doing that but we do know for sure that there's some sort of vampire society when Angel says everyone knows about this it's just very subtle things that tells the audience and shows the audience that the demon world is among us and it's active and it's vibrant in this city especially and it's right under our noses and there's so much more to learn from it mm. Buffy asks Angel if he can make sure the rest of the bags get into the hospital. And she actually gives him a look when she says that, because obviously Angel might be there to get the blood bags too. I don't know. Um, and he just says, yeah, yeah, he, he will. Um, and Buffy says she's worried about Giles. And Angel asks, Angel suggests maybe he's just late. And Buffy says, Giles, who counts tardiness as the eighth deadly sin? <laughs> and Angel says, you should go. And Buffy gives him like a grin before leaving and let's not forget where we left off in lie to me angel told buffy about his truly sociopathic serial killer past with drusilla and we left it there we didn't really address it after that so they're not really lovey-dovey at the moment two episodes ago they were making out at buffy's house so i think there might still be a little bit of distance and trust issues between the two at the moment and it's a very subtle way to show us that like hey things aren't where they were a couple episodes ago but her grin and her appreciation of him is still there that's an excellent reading of this scene well you know i watch these kind of scenes very closely <laughs> how many times this time <laughs> this time twice <laughs> so buffy goes to giles house and giles answers the door looking super shaggy and disheveled and drunk and he says he'd rather he's really he's rather busy, so he'll see her on Monday. And Buffy asks about the hospital. Where was he? Giles asks if she was hurt because obviously he completely forgot. And she said her feelings are hurt. <laughs> What's wrong? And Giles basically just brushes her off and says he's in the middle of something and shuts the door in her face. And Buffy leaves hurt. And Giles is on the phone with somebody in England, and he's looking for. Deidre, Deidre, however you pronounced it earlier. Uh, and then he learns that she recently died. And we know that she recently died again the night before. Mm -hmm. He hangs up and he gasps a little bit and he downs another drink. And this is where I want to bring up because you said that Philip had written Giles's name. Well, Giles here has a list of five people and one of them is him. And I just thought it was really funny that he included himself on the list because also like why you it goes without saying you know what I mean mm -hmm. anyway three people on that list are are scratched off and one of them is Deidre and the other one is Philip and then a guy named Thomas who we never met and then the other one on that list is Ethan Rain <gasps> Giles then goes to the mirror at his, in his washroom and rolls up his sleeves 
to wash his face and we see the same tattoo on his arm that Philip had on his arm. <gasps> and Giles looks into the mirror and says, so you're back. Like again, you know, Halloween, so many like revelations. Yeah. So skillfully done. I think the same is true for this episode. It's like every scene is just kind of drawing out the tension a little bit more, feeding us just enough tidbits to keep us going. Yeah. What's going on here? What do these tattoos mean? Why does Giles have one? And most importantly, why is he lying about it? So cut to the morgue where Philip is opening his eyes and they glow green because he's possessed by hyena spirits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. We know where this is going. We no, <laughs> run, I, puppy, it'll be too long if we never get any more hyena spirits. Please, thank you. <laughs> so this is this scene is so useless. The next morning at the morgue, the mortician or whoever is doing the morning count of bodies. And at first I was like, why does he have to count the right? bodies in the morning? But on the other hand, I was like, this is Sunnydale. And very often bodies probably just get up and walk away in the middle oh, of the night. Oh, that's a good right? point. Yeah. So he's probably counting it. It's a practice, a standard practice at Sunnydale Morgue. Uh, and he sees that Philip is gone. Philip attacks the guy from behind, throws him inside where Philip's body used to be. And I'm like, why even include this scene? We already saw him wake up. Like... We didn't I need know, to see him. And there was this entirely person. too much chest hair in this scene for me. <laughs> Willow, Xander, Jenny, and Cordelia are heading into the computer lab at the school. I guess the only two students that need help with computers are Xander and Cordelia. <laughs> Buffy comes in and they're surprised to see her. And here's the thing I do like this conversation between these five characters, I think it's funny. Mm -hmm. Once again, you and I like to pick away and dive in. And when you really dive in, Xander is rude and gross all at the same time. Yeah. I needed to to say first that I did enjoy the dialogue because the dialogue can be really good. Yeah. So the first sort of problematic element of the dialogue, right, is uh, Jenny is starting things off by saying, the first thing we're going to do is... And then Buffy comes into the room, so Jenny says, Buffy. So it's the first thing we're going to do is Buffy. And this causes Xander to reply, did I fall asleep already? And the moment he said that, and the whole kind of joke clicked in my brain, audible groan. Yeah. And I'm just like, Xander, just, just go home, because clearly you have other things on your mind on this Saturday, like... Ugh, it's just so well, gross. Like, it's one thing for him to think that, but for him to think it's appropriate to say that in a room full of women. We can already kind of assume that you're having wet dreams about Buffy, but to bring it up so clearly and loudly, wouldn't you think that would make your friend uncomfortable? Especially when she comes in looking upset. So yeah, it's gross. And then the other layer to that that I saw was that that's insulting to Miss Calendar because she's here on a Saturday trying to help you not fail her class. Yeah, she's not being paid extra for this. By giving you extra help. And you're basically saying that you plan to sleep through it. And I get it. You're like, haha, funny teenager doesn't want to be there on Saturday, but you're being really ungrateful and gross at the same time. Uh, not an easy feat, but for Xander it is. So 
what I'm saying is the rest of this convo is actually quite cute and funny. Where yep. so he says that, and we're like, uh. But then Willow says, "Oh, you miss your friends," <laughs> like thinking that Buffy came to like see them, and. Xander says, sit here, buffs, demilitarize the zone between me and Cordelia. And Cordelia says, yeah, and de-louse him while you're at it. (laughs) There's a lot of, like, bickering and banter between Xander and Cordelia in this episode, and that's very interesting to me. Let's talk about that one a little bit later. Uh, Again, Xander and Cordelia taking jabs at each other. Cordelia's a little bit better at it, but I do think it's overall pretty funny. Buffy came to talk to Jenny because Giles did not show up the night before. He was acting weird. He was looking bad and was drinking. And Willow says, tea, right? So precious. (laughs) So cute. And Xander actually gives a story about his uncle Rory, uh, who was the stodgiest taxidermist by day. By night, it was booze, whores, and fur flying. And then he said, were there whores? And Buffy says, no. And he says, give it time. So again, Xander, too far, too gross, too inappropriate. Mm-hmm. But this also, and we get these now and then, this gives us a little pixie into Xander's home life again. He's already talked about a previous uncle who was a janitor at an old factory. And he's alluded to the fact that he's from a lower income household. And mm-hmm. now we know that he has an uncle who sounds like an alcoholic and possible pervert or <laughs> woman abuser. Well, also, he's a taxidermist. I mean, that's bad enough. That alone was enough to turn us against Uncle Rory. Buffy asks if any of them noticed anything weird. That's when Cordelia says he seemed perfectly normal yesterday when I saw him talking to the police. (laughs) Buffy asks why she didn't bring that up earlier. And Cordelia says she didn't think it was important. And Xander says, we understand it wasn't about you. And first of all, I don't think it was Cordelia's fault that she didn't bring it up earlier because it literally was just brought up a second ago by Buffy. And then the other thing is that Xander, like you've already made this entire conversation about you. That's a good point. So stop making fun of Cordelia for being self-centered when you just talked about your uncle Rory for no reason. Cordelia says that the police were talking to Giles about homicide. Buffy goes to the library to call him. When she gets to the library, she sees shadows in the stacks. And I was actually quite excited for this because we've never been back in the stacks yet. And this is our first time. And they're a lot bigger than I thought they would be. Like, I was like, ooh, we're in the stacks. (laughs) And uh, there's someone stalking Buffy back there. Well, yeah, like you would think like that would be a more popular place for kids to go to like make out or smoke or like do other questionable activities because it's not like anybody else but Giles goes back there. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I guess they'd have to pass through the spooky library, the spooky, beautiful library before they can get to the stacks themselves. They probably don't even know they're back there. They probably don't even know that there's an abandoned cellar back there that you can make quick escapes. Someone's stalking Buffy and tries to knock a bookshelf on her and then she ends up catching up to them and it's Ethan Rain, the costume man from Halloween that Giles knows. And Buffy punches him in the face. (laughs) And I was like, what an honor to be punched by the Slayer. And Buffy says, what are you doing here? And he says he's snooping around, obviously. And Buffy threatens to call the police and Ethan says they'll have questions and they'll need Rupert to answer them. Buffy is surprised to learn that he knows Giles Ethan says that he is looking for him. So more acid trip dreams from Giles. And then he he wakes up because the phone is ringing and it's Buffy. And she says, she, she asks him straight up, what's the mark of Igon? 
And she says that she's there with Ethan Rain. And Giles says, you're in grave danger while he's there. Get out of the library as soon as possible. And that's when Philip the zombie breaks through the window of the office. And it's funny because Ethan actually hides behind Buffy when that happens. And she goes to confront him. And Ethan goes to run away. And that's when the others run in because they heard the crash. And Buffy tells him to stop him. And this is so funny because Xander tries to stop Ethan, but Ethan easily throws Xander off him and onto the counter. And as he runs through the door, Cordelia is the one that kicks him in the crotch and he falls down. <laughs> Cordelia knows how to take down a guy. Like... So good. And Buffy manages to lock Philip in the convenience cage in the library. So they're all surrounding the cage and studying a very clearly dead Philip. And uh, Giles runs in and Ethan says, Hello, Ripper. So Giles is telling Ethan to that he put people he cared about in danger and ethan says then why didn't you leave town and you've been having the dreams we both know what's coming and buffy wants to know what's going on but that's when philip breaks out of the cage somehow and knocks jenny to the ground while he does it and i was very shocked that philip was able to open the cage because in my mind the cage is foolproof like the, the cage is gonna lock up anything you put in there <laughs> so Xander actually jumps in front of Cordelia to protect her in this moment. They 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 make a point of showing that in the scene, which is interesting. Well, he's done that before, right? Like in some assembly required, he rolled Cordelia through fire to get her out of harm's way. You know, in our in our criticism of Xander, one thing I will never deny is Xander is heroic, right? Like he does have heroic qualities to him, and I think that is why he does belong in this gang. It's just as I have said in the past, his heroic qualities do not forgive or excuse his creepier, toxic, misogynistic qualities. <laughs> yeah, they sure don't. <laughs> so uh, Buffy starts to starts to beat up Philip, who suddenly convulses, falls to the ground, and turns back into mouthwash. So <laughs> no one is noticing that the goop that he turned into is touching Jenny's hand. Ethan manages to run away. Jenny is coming too, and Giles is helping her up. And Cordelia says, this is what happens when you have school on Saturday. <laughs> I mean, she's not wrong. I mean, she's absolutely correct. And Giles and Jenny are hugging, but... Jenny opens her eyes and they glow too because she's also possessed by hyena spirits. <laughs> also, she and Giles now have something else in common, which is they both have at least one concussion from the show. <laughs> yeah, Giles really understands her pain. Uh, so Giles is icing Jenny's head and Buffy demands to know from Giles what is going on. And Giles says it's complicated and it's private. And Buffy says, I don't care if it's private. I care if there's dead guys attacking us. And what is the mark of Igon? And Giles gets stern again, says it's not her battle, and orders her as her watcher to stay out of it. <laughs> like that'll work. Yeah, like we, we laugh because Giles, what has you playing the watcher card ever worked for you in the past? Never. Giles goes to bring Jenny home and Jenny, okay, is Jenny already possessed by Igon right now or is she still kind of Jenny? Good question. I don't know. This is hard for me to understand because Jenny's making noises like she just had sex. Like Jenny is, is like, oh, oh, and she's acting like she just like got railed by Giles and it was great. Oh my God. She's not acting. Stop. <laughs> she's not acting 
like she's having a concussion <laughs> she's acting like she's like moaning you know so i'm like this must be igon because later we learn that igon's super horny <laughs> So Giles goes to take Jenny home. And as soon as they're out of earshot, Buffy says to the other three who've been watching this whole thing, we have work to do. I'm and sorry. I just, I can't believe the word railed came out of your mouth. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Anyway, carry on. So Buffy is in charge. We love to see it. She's like, Willow's going to go do research on the Mark of Igon. Xander, go through Giles' personal files. I did like Xander's line here where he, where she asks, are, like, are you comfortable going through his files? And Xander says, he feels good about this. Does that make me a sociopath? Nah. <laughs> and Cordelia says that she cares about Giles too and wants to help. So Buffy says, go help Xander. This is such a cute scene. Like... Buffy is in charge, which we've seen before, but this is just a reminder, right? Like, Buffy has evolved so much as the Slayer over the past year. And once again, Giles is, if not directly outright lying to them, certainly he's stepping around the truth. So it's just so lovely that Buffy completely rejects any idea of just letting Giles handle this himself. And she starts giving orders, right? Which is great. She's in charge. And then, of course, we've got Cordelia here, right? And Buffy is surprised when Cordelia says that she wants to help. This is not what Buffy was expecting. And when Buffy pairs Cordelia with Xander, she protests at first. But eventually Cordelia's like, fine, like, I guess I'll do that if that's what I need to do to help Giles. And it's just like... We're seeing Cordelia's character evolve as well. And as you mentioned earlier in the episode, clearly she wants to be part of the gang. But her previous interactions have often been very self-motivated, right? Like self-interested. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, save me from being uh, cut up by guys who are making zombie queens, right? Like, <laughs> But this time around, there's nothing in it for her. So this is her caring about Giles, and that's nice. We love it, Cordy. Keep growing. At Giles' house, Jenny is happy he brought her there because she's not ready to go home alone yet. And again, I was like, is it Jenny or is it Igon? Um, I don't know. So, listeners, you tell us, did Igon possess her immediately or was it a slow pro progression? <laughs> so Giles is just really apologetic. He wants to take her home because he's not safe to be around because a zombie keeps attacking him and she insists that she stay back at the library willow has figured out that the mark of igon is etruscan and basically igon also called the sleepwalker can only exist in this reality by possessing an unconscious host temporary possession imbues the host with a euphoric feeling of power unless the proper rituals are observed the possession is permanent and igon will be born from the host once called igon can only take possession of the dead but its energy disintegrates that person then it jumps to the nearest dead or unconscious person to continue living so Willow found that so quickly. Good for her. Here's where we're getting to the, the meat and potatoes of the Igon story. Willow says that ancient sex, sects, ancients <laughs> used to induce possession for bacchanals and orgies. 
and I had to look up what a bacchanal is. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. A bacchanal is an occasion of wild and drunk revelry, and I didn't have to look up what orgy is because I know what an orgy is. <laughs> so basically, Giles, Philip, Thomas, Deidre, and Ethan used to summon Igon the Demon in a ritual possession to have drunken orgies with each other. Yeah, pretty much. Like, get it, Deidre, because, like, you're the only girl. There's, like, these four, four other I, guys. I mean, we've had previous, you know, discussions about how there seems to be some kind of chemistry between Giles and Ethan. So clearly there was something going on there. They used to get high off black magic and do each other. And this is, like, canon now. Like, this is for sure in my mind. Like, <laughs> you cannot tell me otherwise and even xander xander says giles and orgies in the same sentence i could have lived without that well xander i couldn't have lived any longer not knowing this because this right. is fascinating and also stuff. xander you're the one who's constantly perving out around everybody else so yeah this is how it feels yeah and xander's probably also grossed out because we know xander is a low-key homophobe so <laughs> this makes him uncomfortable thinking that giles used to have orgies with these men and that's when they realized that the body disintegrated, so therefore the demon must have jumped, and Jenny was the only unconscious person. Now here's a little here's a little error in the script. Shouldn't Giles, who would have studied a lot on Igon and known all about Igon, you think he would have known that the demon jumps like this? Okay. I agree that's a possibility in terms of it being an oversight. However, Giles is clearly upset. He's distraught. He's been drinking. He's probably hungover at this point. I don't think he's firing on all cylinders right now. That's fair. He, actually, we don't know how drunk he is. So Buffy goes to call him, but Jenny is currently unplugging his phone at his apartment. And Giles says that he's going to bring her home after she's done drinking tea. And Jenny says, or you can take advantage of me in my weakened state. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, this no. isn't what we wanted on Saturday. <laughs> so Giles says he's attracted to her, but now isn't the right time. <laughs> For a couple reasons. I mean, you know, zombies are chasing him. But also, she has a concussion, apparently. And it's just not a romantic time. And Jenny says there's never been a better time. And straddles him on the chair. Ah! <laughs> and they start making out and Giles is not he doesn't find this very strange he's just more like I don't want to take advantage <laughs> and I'm like you're about to find it very strange in just a second Giles so <laughs> Jenny gets up and says you just don't change it's not right it's not proper people might get hurt you're like a woman ripper you cry at every funeral you never had the strength for me you don't deserve me but guess what you've got me and then her voice drops into like a deep octave and she's like under your skin <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it's nice, like it's an interesting exchange, right? Because once again, Jenny is possessed, but in certain circumstances, I could see her saying something similar to Giles, maybe not so harshly, but all of this criticism that she's leveling at him is consistent with the differences in their two characters. Very true. She grabs him very aggressively, kisses him right after she says, under your skin, and he allows this to happen. He must be in shock. And when she pulls back, she's got straight up demon skin pox. And it looks really 
creepy and gross. And she says, was it good for you? <laughs> she throws Giles against a desk. So this is Igon, clearly. And just so we're all on the same page, Igon was trying to have sex with Giles. I don't know that he, he was, right? Because he threw Giles against the desk and stuff and, and is like getting super violent. I think he was toying with Giles. Oh, okay. That's when Buffy bangs through the door and kicks Jenny in the face. And the demon laughs and says, three down, two to go. Be seeing ya and jumps out the window as demons love to do. Giles is upset about Jenny and having like a super traumatized moment. And Buffy is trying to snap him out of it. And she's like, don't be sorry. We fight monsters. They show up. They scare us. I beat them up. They go away. This isn't any different. And Giles says it is different because he created it. So Giles gives his backstory. Yay! We, we like our vampire backstories. Like, I like Giles' backstory too. He says he was 21. He was studying history at Oxford and, and the occult at, by night. He hated the studying. He hated the overwhelming pressure of his destiny. And he doesn't really go into detail about what his destiny is. Was his destiny to become a watcher? What does I, that I mean? I think that's what's implied because way, way back in like, I think it was the Harvest right? Giles tells Buffy he wanted to be a fighter pilot. Oh, uh, never kill a boy. Yeah, his father expected to be a, a watcher. So I, I think that his destiny was, I have to like become a watcher. It seems like it's this hereditary thing, which, you know, kind of like from the movie. So <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So maybe, hey, do you think like Merrick is Giles' father? <laughs> Ooh, deep cut. So Giles dropped out of school. He went to London. He fell into a crowd that practiced magic and orgies. <laughs> uh, he said they did small magic at first for pleasure or gain. And this actually implies a lot that magic and drug use are used metaphorically in the same way in this show, the way Giles is mm -hmm. describing this. And that's, that's definitely something we're going to see continue on throughout the series. So... Mm -hmm. Giles says that Ethan and him discover something bigger, Igon. One of them would go into a deep sleep and the others would summon the demon and they'd get super high off it. Randall was one of their friends and he lost control. Igon took him whole and they tried to exercise it out, but he was dead and they thought that was going to be it. But now the demon is back and he will kill them one by one. And no explanation as to why this would take 20 years. Like, where, where was I gone for the last 20 years? No explanation on the point of the tattoos. <laughs> and I can get more into the tattoos later. But, like, just a couple of things that are just, like, left blank here. My my biggest one was, why did a Igon take 20 years to do this? Well, I mean, time works differently for demons, right? 20 years is probably nothing for Igon in whatever demon dimension Igon inhabits usually, right? Like the 20 years thing to me is excusable, but I, I'm with you on the tattoo thing. If again, I guess maybe Giles is just really hungover and in shock because of the whole Jenny thing. And he's just, he's doing his best to tell the story, right? But he's going to leave some things out. It's yeah. just, yeah, like this must be so tough for Giles, you know, because he's used to watching over Buffy and now Buffy is basically forcing him to divulge this dark, shameful part of his past so that she can clean up his mess. Like she's she's dealing with the folly of his youth. 
And for somebody as private and uptight and British as Giles is these days, at least, that must hurt quite a bit that it's come to this. And this is the first time that we're seeing Giles being emotionally vulnerable. It is nice that he's doing this with Buffy and clearly they're growing closer and closer and he's trusting her enough to share this shameful past of him. Like imagine your most rebellious low moment and that you try to run from your whole life and now it's come back to kill you. <laughs> so this is hard for him. And um, and Buffy says she has to go find Ethan because obviously Igon is after him now and Giles can't come because he's so drunk and also hurt from being thrown around so much. And Giles says he doesn't know how to stop Igon without killing Jenny. At Ethan's costume shop, Buffy finds him there. They banter a bit. He basically says that the tattoos are like homing beacons. And she's like, that's fine. I don't feel like running. So we'll just wait here. <laughs> we'll just use you as bait, Ethan. It's fine. <laughs> that's fine. No worries. And uh, that's when Ethan, while Buffy's back is turned, hits her over the head you know, and knocks her unconscious. I have to give Ethan credit. He's consistent. Right? Any opportunity he can take to screw you over, he takes it. And, like, I appreciate that. The The worst thing I hate is an inconsistent villain. So, good job, Ethan. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. <laughs> good, good work. <laughs> when Buffy comes to, she's tied face down to a massage table. And Ethan, what he's doing is he's going to tattoo the mark of Igon mm -hmm. onto Buffy. It's actually a clever plan. And again, like is, Ethan yeah. is just such a deliciously amoral character. You know, it's not that he is evil, really. He just, he literally only cares about himself and looking out for number one, which is Ethan. So if he has to sacrifice a pretty blonde cheerleader or the Slayer or Giles or Jenny, <laughs> right? Like yeah. it does not matter to him. And it's not that he's taking pleasure from it. He doesn't really care. He's just like, I got to survive and I'm going to do what it takes to survive. So again, I, I think Ethan Rain is a an interesting addition to the Buffyverse when it comes to villains because he's different yeah. from vampires who are straight up soulless evil. He's a human being and he presumably, at least for now, still has a soul. So his actions are less excusable than a vampire's in some way, but also quite understandable in the sense that I think we are familiar with the Ethan Reigns of the world whose actions are dictated by what's best for them. The fact that you're saying that he's human, which sets him apart from creatures like Spike or Moloch, praise Moloch, Buffy cannot kill humans that's her code she does not kill humans but that doesn't stop her from threatening humans because she's she she tells ethan that she's going to kill him when she gets out of here but we know she's lying he's out of buffy's jurisdiction when it comes to actually defeating him which actually gives him a leg up and why probably buffy's in this situation right now mm -hmm. so willow is in the library figuring out how to kill igon and cordelia says to kill a demon cut off its head <laughs> She's and the way wrong. she says it is so funny. I know she's not wrong. And Xander says, yeah, we'll decapitate Miss Calendar and she'll be the first headless computer teacher at the school. You think anyone will notice? And like, and then Cordy and Xander bicker a bit more. Cordy says that uh, besides a year supply of acne cream, you also need a brain. And Xander snaps and he's just like, you know, 12 years of you. I'm going to fight you. Like, I'm going to fight you right now. And Cordy says, like, I've seen you fight. I can take you. And 
I remember this, yes. And just like, like, yeah, I think Cordy could take him. She took down Ethan pretty easily. She proved earlier in this episode that she's better at fighting. But what I like about this banter, (laughs) shooting insults at each other in the past has not been our favorite thing. But now, like you said earlier, they're doing it in a very specific way. And I am no stranger to teen romances and WB teen shows and development. And the banter between the two now is becoming your classic, I hate you so much that I actually kind of like you. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too, because it reminded me of what we saw between Jenny and Giles back when Jenny first showed up Mm -hmm. on the scene, right? And sometimes these romantic undertones go over my head, but in this case, the writers are being unsubtle enough that even I'm picking up on it. So (laughs) it'll be interesting to see where this goes in the future, right? Like how far will the show take this flirtatiousness that's developing between these two characters? Yeah, flirtatiousness is a really good way to describe it because, I I mean, yeah, you, you take away the situation and they're totally flirting. And I think if you were to say to both of them, hey, sounds like you guys like each other, they'd both be like, what? No! And they would like, take, like, take exactly. it. Exactly. Maximum yeah. denial. But yeah, I mean, there's just so many more kind of opportunities coming up, I think, in terms of like, we've still got one more year of high school. So like, who knows what's going to happen over the next year? Like there's, there's a, a ton of runway for these characters to continue to grow before they even graduate. So... We've got time, and I think the writers recognize that, and I Mm -hmm. like that they're not in a rush to, you know, get any of these characters into a relationship, whether it's with each other or with somebody else. The writers are taking time to develop these characters. They know they have that runway, and that makes for a much more fulfilling series. And I'm, I'm personally happy they're not moving too quickly on Cordelia and Xander, possibly having this flirtatious vibe because I don't know how I feel about it. Exactly. <laughs> I guess we'll have to wait and see. But at the moment, I'm just like, mm, So for like now, it. they're at each other's throats. And this results in my favorite line of the whole episode. Let's hear it. Because while Xander and Cordelia are starting their cat fight, I guess... Willow, who has been working her butt off trying to find a way to save Jenny in this situation, she lets them have it. And if you thought that the way that she talked to Giles and Angel back in Reptile Boy was harsh, wow, like, (laughs) wait until you hear what she says. We don't have time for this. She's like, I've had enough of you two. You know, our friends are in trouble. And then she says, if you aren't in this 110%, then get the hell out of my library. And it's that (laughs) my library part that really gets to me because it's Willow not just taking charge in this scene, but taking ownership. You know, Giles isn't there. She's net girl. She's book girl. She's research girl. She's like, Mm -hmm. this is my domain. And the two of you are trespassing right now, and you're either going to get it together and fall in line behind me, or you're going to get out. It's take it or leave it Willow, and that's my favorite type of Willow, because she normally seems like such a pushover. Mm -hmm. But in this scene, she's not just in charge, she's demonstrating such incredible leadership. 
Yeah. And we've been seeing this develop in her all season, and it's just so nice to continue seeing it. Think about her outburst in Reptile Boy, her taking charge in Halloween, her doing what she thought was the right thing by lying to Buffy and looking up Ford in Lie to Me, and now here she is snapping at Cordy and Xander. Like, this isn't the same Willow that we met in season one, and it's exciting to see this development for sure. And Xander and Cordy recognize this too, and they fall in line. Like Xander says, hey, we should go find another dead body for the demon to jump. And Cordy says, yeah, let's go to the cemetery. And that's when Willow says that that won't kill the demon. It was just a change of scenery. But then she goes, I've got it, and runs off screen. Oh, yeah. So Buffy's tattoo is done. It's at the top of her back like right below her neck and it's nice that ethan picked a little trendy spot for her to put her tattoo he could have put it in a weird I mean, spot could it be like a trans stamp <laughs> yeah you could have did something really weird but it's in a cute little spot so and it's a cute little shape uh he's happy <laughs> igon is off his scent and then he pours acid on his own tattoo to throw off igon's scent giles gets an acid flashback while that happens and he can see Buffy lying on the table, so it's not even flashbacks, it's kind of like Yeah, like they're all connected (laughs) psychically through these tattoos. By these tattoos. And um, Ethan's plan is working, obviously, so Giles goes to help Buffy... And Ethan says, hate to mutilate and run! (laughs) Uh, And that's when we see the green light outside and jenny is approaching the door she comes in she looks like like a super alien like she looks like a dark elf (laughs) and buffy has managed to cut her ropes open because there's a very well placed nail (laughs) underneath the massage table so igon goes up to ethan throws him aside and goes for buffy instead and my question is is igon blind like i know that the tattoos help her him it find the ethan and giles but like why would they not see ethan and be like that's the person i'm after as opposed to just like straight up going for buffy well igon's connected to the tattoos right so it's probably the case that igon only cares about the tattoo igon wants a receptacle that bears the mark right because igon jumped into jenny because jenny was unconscious so i i think igon's connected to the tattoo I don't know about, like, physically blind, but maybe, like, psychically, maybe it's a case of, like, you know, Igon can see Ethan, but Ethan's no longer lit up in terms of, like, a beacon, right? Buffy's lit up. And so Mm. Igon is going to be drawn to Buffy like a moth, you know? Igon can Mm. see Ethan. Igon tosses Ethan to the side because there's a tastier-looking option. Okay, that makes sense. Well done. Buffy starts to fight Igon while Giles runs in and says, take me, Buffy, get out of here. The demon grabs Giles, throws him to the ground, and says, I've been waiting a long time to do this. That's when Angel runs in. Sweet, sweet Angel. He's followed by the gang of teenagers, and Angel begins to choke Igon. And of course, Igon is Jenny, and Giles is like, he's killing her! (laughs) And tries to stop him, but Willow is like, no, no, this is gonna work. And sure enough, as Angel's choking the demon, Igon jumps from Jenny's body into Angel's body because he's a dead vampire, don't forget. (laughs) And, okay, I'm sorry, but Angel, David Boreanaz makes the funniest facial expressions when the demon possesses him. I mean, I'm just imagining the direction, right? They're like, okay, make some expressions. You know, he he was choking the demon, Steph, right? And y'all know what that's (laughs) code for. But 
that's what he needed to do. He needed to choke and then make these funny facial expressions because his inner demon, i.e. the vampire inside Angel's body, I guess, beats Igon <laughs> and Igon disappears. Yeah, I think it's a really clever solution to the problem. Go Willow. Like I- I'm impressed that that Willow had the brilliance to find the solution. But the solution is very strange to me. Cause so so Igon basically like had like a matchup with Angel in his body. Yeah, so when you think about it, like you just pointed out, Angel's body is technically dead, which is why Igon can jump into it. But Angel is already possessed by a vampire. Like a the, the demonic uh... element of the vampire. So, you know, his body is occupied. Plus, I think and this is never mentioned, but my theory would be Angel also has a soul, right? And obviously that didn't help Jenny. Jenny's got a soul too. But I maybe the yeah. combination of vampire, demon, plus soul, it's like there is no room for Igon left. Angel is too crowded. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. That makes so much sense. And I've actually never really thought about how vampires are also demons who possess human bodies. Yeah kills them and takes it over interesting 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 okay anyway uh but yeah okay so um everything's good so that's the end of that the next day buffy xander and willow are walking on campus and buffy is saying that she needs to blow her entire allowance to get that tattoo removed before her mother sees it and i was like well then buffy don't wear a tank top (laughs) also the least giles could do is pay for the tattoo to be removed right like it's his the very fault, least. this all happened. And removing a tattoo is not a cheap process. I imagine yep. it was probably more expensive back in the late 90s. So mm-hmm. you should step up here, Giles. It's also not an easy process. And I didn't actually look up to see how much uh, tattoo removal would cost. Like, obviously, Buffy has a lot of allowance that's given <laughs> to her. But it doesn't actually remove the tattoo completely. As from what I understand, unless Ethan Rain gave her a very shoddy, shallow one. Yeah, this is, well, and also like her her skin would be damaged right now from how soon the tattoo had been added. So first her skin would have to heal and then they'd remove it. And you're absolutely right. It's just this is this is a part of the episode or the, the story where. I don't think the writers really either thought it through or just cared that much. You know, like this, the whole (laughs) line here is just, I think, a throwaway line to show that they thought about the fact that she's not going to have this tattoo in future episodes. But it's not really a great solution. Well, it's also like, Ethan, why didn't you just acid off your tattoo? Why tattoo Buffy at all? Because (laughs) that might not have been enough. And I think Ethan's very Uh... thorough. But yeah, like the writers could have just said like, oh, you know, once Igon was vanquished, all the tattoos disappeared. Imagine he tattooed like a cat or something. (laughs) And we just see Jenny chasing this cat around. (sighs) The things they could have done. Uh, Anyway, yeah, Buffy, don't wear a tank top if you don't want your mom to see your neck tattoo. So they're both impressed with Willow's brilliance and they give her kudos, which I like. I'm also impressed with Willow's brilliance. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I give you kudos as well. And Buffy asks if Willow would consider a career as a watcher. And Willow says it's too much stress. And (laughs) Xander says the dental plan is crap. And he's right. And obviously Giles isn't paid a lot of money to be a watcher. It's just his destiny and that's it. So no, no one should ever be a watcher. Mm -hmm. And 
Buffy does say, though, it seems like Giles doesn't have a choice. So in the hallway, Giles is checking up on Jenny and she says she's not amazing, but she's coping. But Jenny doesn't want to sleep with Giles anymore is basically what this conversation is. Giles mm. says he wants to help her and she, and he goes to touch her and she backs away. She's uncomfortable. She says she has to go to class and she leaves and Giles looks super sad about it. So, yeah. So I guess, you know, the J train has left the station, Giles. There's no P and V now. And... I get this, Giles. Like, honestly, you you weren't honest with her. Mind you, you weren't dating for very long, so no one says you have to, to you know, give all your deep, dark secrets right, right away. Right, but in the interest of, like, sexy times, I feel like you should disclose that in your past you had all of these multiple partners. Has Giles been tested at any point? <laughs> I mean, that's such an awkward conversation to have, especially before the first time you have sex. I don't think that's a very common conversation. However... The fact that your past is coming to kill you or will at one point. I mean, when do you bring that up in a new relationship? Third date. Third date. <laughs> <laughs> at the football game, you should have mentioned that. But that's another thing, too, is like, are we supposed to think that like the metaphor of Giles parting when he's young and facing the consequences when he's older and having these acid flashbacks and possibly like an STD flare up, <laughs> if we want to think of Igon that way, Uh is that what the metaphor is? <laughs> um, I think really it's just the show. The, the writers are trying to give us depth to Giles's character and give us his backstory and show that he is not just mm -hmm. this one dimensional stodgy British watcher who's always on Buffy's back about something. You know, he does have a past and this is something that's very important for the series because our characters are going to grow over the next several years. So they're not going to be the same people in season seven that they are in seasons one and two. And Giles is just an example of that, right? Of how like you will always grow and change over the decades of your life. Maybe not as dramatically as Giles does, but everybody you meet, especially older people, have those hidden depths, those experiences, and those stories, and those regrets that you don't know about until you finally learn that aspect of them. Yeah, and until that person wants to reveal that to you. And like we learned that with Angel in the last episode, we're learning it with Giles now. I think there's a lot of layers to this too with Jenny, because Jenny on one hand could be pissed that Giles wasn't honest with her, and that led to her being possessed by an orgy demon. Jenny is a techno-pagan, so maybe she has these, like, moralities around how magic is used and abused. I mean, I just think she's mostly, you know, just incredibly traumatized from this experience. Like, Yeah, that's that's the other layer I had, the too. The whole thing of it. And also, maybe, like, because she was so into Giles, sexually, mm -hmm. and she probably remembered what Ion did while in possession of her. So I think maybe the idea of getting physical with Giles, like we saw her recoil from his touch, is just bringing her back to that moment where she's like straddling him and, you know, asking him to pity fuck her. And it's just like, that's going to be... <laughs> In her weekend state. Exactly. That's going to be <laughs> on her mind every time she sees Giles and thinks about sexy times with him. So uh, can they overcome this? 
We'll have to find out. Stay tuned. Keep watching. Keep listening. But for now, this is a bump in the road. This is a huge stop sign. Yeah, and we can't blame her for wanting to take space, especially if that's how she's feeling and remembering. Oh, absolutely not. I think this is a very realistic way for the writers to handle Jenny's trauma. And I would Mm -hmm. be disappointed and upset, frankly, if they had had her react any differently and if she was like totally cheery and like yeah so next saturday (laughs) continue kate but that's another thing too is because at the beginning of this episode they were really lovey-dovey it was very cute a little bit inappropriate sure but jenny was so excited to get intimate with giles and get closer to him from what we can tell physically that weekend. And then what happens to her? She gets possessed by this horny demon and abused emotionally and physically from that. And it's like the writers are punishing her for having this sexual freedom. And this is something we've seen it already in this show, but we're going to see more of it as the show progresses, that women who have sex, women who are sexually free and love experimenting with their sexual freedoms are punished. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge theme in this series, but also that's a huge theme in a lot of shows in the 90s and around that time Mm -hmm. because at that, I mean, we could talk more about this in another episode too, but just to give you a little taste, we, our generation, the generations before us, I don't know so much about the newer Gen Z generation, we were grown up to fear sex. Mm -hmm. That's why virginity is held up on this pedestal in these shows. Mm-hmm. And that's why women who are having sex have to be punished. Yes. Although I will add to that. I completely agree with you. But I also think it's Joss Whedon's fault as well. And <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> um, I alluded to this in a previous episode, but we will get there, like you said, um, in an upcoming episode. Mm-hmm. I think we'll have a much longer conversation about this theme in Buffy. And I have some thoughts about Joss Whedon's, shall we say, obsession with this Madonna whore complex. So I just, I'm excited yeah. to get there, but we're not quite there yet. I know, I know. But the like we said before, these episodes are getting better and better, and it's all going to come to a head pretty soon. So, Buffy has watched this whole thing go down. Giles is really upset and he says to her that she'll never that Jenny will never forgive him, maybe she shouldn't. And Buffy says something really mature and she says maybe you should. Giles admits that he never wanted Buffy to see that side of him. And Buffy says it was scary uh because she's so used to Giles being the grown-up, but then she finds out that he's a person. And this is such an important part of all of us growing up. I don't, I can't pinpoint exactly when, no, I can pinpoint exactly when, but there is a moment in your life where you realize that your parents and the grownups in your life are flawed people, just like you and your friends, just like you and your siblings. Mm-hmm. Grownups don't have it all figured out. They're even more fucked up than young people. So Buffy's realizing that. It's all those orgies. <laughs> yeah. So... Buffy does say that this is something that they have in common now, and it's weird, but it's also okay. And this is a continuation from what you said earlier, that conversation that Giles and her had in Never Kill a Boy on the First Date. It's very clear that Buffy is seeing Giles a little bit differently now. And I do wonder, moving forward, how her attitudes toward him when he, like, you know, pushes her around and, like, forces her to train and is more stern. I wonder if her respect for him is a little bit higher now because he shared this vulnerable moment with her. The emotional stakes have been raised between the two. So Buffy says they're supposed to be training. 
I, I don't know why, because it seems like it's right in the morning. <laughs> it's like the middle of class. And uh, Buffy says she has the perfect music. And Jal says it's not music. It's meaningless sounds. And he suggests they listen to the Bay City Rollers. And she says, I didn't hear that. And they walk into the library. The end. Again, I really liked this episode. Uh, I thought that Anthony Stewart Head, who plays Giles, did a lot of heavy acting lifting in this episode, as one mm-hmm. should when it is your centric episode. But yeah, he gave a lot of grit to Giles' character here. He was stuffy. He spiraled. He was threatening. He was vulnerable. He was drunk. He was sober. And then he was devastated when he got dumped by Jenny at the end. So good job. Good job, Anthony Stewart Head. Yeah. Who's your hero? For the second time in a row... I am going to declare a joint hero ship shared by Willow and Angel. They are the ones who saved the day, right? Willow was the one who came up with the plan and got Xander and Cordy back into line with their bickering. And Angel was the one who implemented the plan. And and he did it. And he didn't grumble about it. And he didn't hold it over Buffy's head. He just showed up. He was actually helpful for once, and then he laughed, right? Like, that's how I want to see Angel in this series. <laughs> Sorry, Steph. How dare you? Um, what? But yeah, so Willow and Angel, what a dynamic duo. Once again, I stand Willow so much this time around, like even more than I used to, and this episode is another example of why. There you are. My hero will also be Willow and Angel. I'm going to stick in Xander and Cordy in there. Cordy didn't have to stay. She chose to stay and sure. help. Xander did his his part as well. So it's, it's a joint effort between all these people. And of mm-hmm. course, my love, Angel. So we have a big episode next week. Do we now? The start of two big episodes. Oh, we dear. do. I'm excited to get there. But for now, let's go into a couple hot stakes we had about Giles and this episode. A couple of people brought this up. Chloe... <laughs> Chloe said that the Gailey Prophet podcast do a Patreon podcast about Buffy, and when the hosts introduce themselves, they call themselves a couple of sorcerers. Apparently, at some point, Ethan says he and Giles are a couple of sorcerers because of their youth, and the hosts found out that sorcerer used to be slang for gay, so it's basically canon, and then Sunny said that Giles and Ethan were probably involved with each other during Giles' Ripper days. Ethan sometimes acts like a bad boyfriend. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And, um, you know, even when Giles found out in Halloween that Ethan was in town and went to go see him, that had my ex's back vibes all <laughs> over it. <laughs> you know, the way they treated each other. <laughs> so Rob also chimed in and said, that Giles is one of the most interesting characters on the show. The Dark Age was a brilliant episode in a way that Giles wasn't over the top. He rebelled against what he was taught, which helps him connect to Buffy in a stronger way, because age gap aside, they both have aspects of their lives that they can't escape. Except Giles gets paid by the Watchers Council, and Buffy gets nothing. Watchers have an entire history of trying to own control slayers giles isn't like that but he's still part of the institution which is interesting we don't learn much about the watchers council but what we do learn is kind of horrifying yeah i agree with all of those takes i think you know the show pretty much solidifies giles and ethan having some kind of sexual relationship in the past without maybe coming out and saying it since you know homophobia on tv networks they're being very coded about it because it was 1997, unfortunately. 
And then, yeah, I like Rob's comment here because I agree. Like we are, like you said, slowly with like the vampire lore and stuff, we're slowly seeing what's going on behind the scenes here with like Giles as a watcher and his responsibilities and who's really pulling those strings. You know, we've heard about this watcher's council, but we don't really understand what's the hierarchy there. How does it actually work? And what are their expectations when it comes to Buffy being the Slayer? You know, that hasn't been made clear yet. So it'll be interesting to see as the show goes on what kinds of interactions we get with, like, Giles's boss. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. We invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at prophecy girls podcast on tiktok instagram and facebook and prophecy underscore girls on twitter you can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website prophecygirls.ca see you next week bye